Happy New Year, EB Online Church family. Wherever you may be, thank you for making us part of your 2021. Now look, now that we've turned the page on our calendar, there is a renewed hope and optimism that the new year can't help but be better than 2020. We're looking forward to the positive impact of the COVID vaccines and are prayerful that sooner rather than later, we can put away talks of quarantine and isolation and infection. But while we look forward to more normal times, we can't help but look back and reflect on the impact 2020 will, will continue to have on our lives. For years, we're going to feel the weight of COVID-19, the sickness, the loss of life, the lockdowns, the masks, the Zoom meetings, the quarantines, the cancellations, the toilet paper shortages. While we ponder the lasting effects, we can't help but, but be filled with questions. Namely, well, why? Why did all of this happen? Why did so many have to suffer? Why? You know, I don't know of any question that is asked more, nor of great, any greater obstacle to belief than, than this one. The best of the prophets raised this very issue, and they had different slants on it. Habakkuk asked, well, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Jeremiah spoke for us when he challenged the Lord, singing, saying, I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Our why questions go something like this. Why is there so much pain in the world? Why did my father leave when I was just a baby? Why is life on earth so hard? Why did you take a, another child from us? Why won't my husband realize our, our marriage is worth saving? Why am I not my dad's Cinderella? Why do my parents have to fight? Why do both of my children have cancer? Why do we have to endure this virus? So many why questions. And look, I can't voice to you all of the why questions that are out there, but I understand where the why question tends to take most of us. It takes us to our hurts, to our loss, to the, the big stuff that we've encountered. The why God questions stem from something that hurts so much and hurts so many, something that impacts our lives and our families so dramatically that we're left holding the pieces. And it seems like we can't put the pieces back together. And you know what? We're at a loss for why all this has happened. If why isn't the most common question, it's certainly the loudest question that we ask of God. You see, why gets at the reason, the purpose, and the cause of something. But there are no easy answers to these questions. Theologians have struggled with the problem of pain for centuries, and they have discovered that it is easy to give glib answers about suffering until there is a face to the pain. The why question is asked by real people, with real issues and real stories and, and real pain. And the answers are hard to come by when one of those stories is yours, when it's your loved one who was in the accident, when it's your husband who's in the hospital when it's your job that has been eliminated, when it's your marriage that is falling apart, when it's your son-in-law who has cancer. There are no easy answers for our why questions. We, we, we want to know why something bad has happened. We, we want to know why God hasn't intervened in order to save us from all of this. And because he hasn't intervened, well, we begin to wonder if he's really there at all. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias spoke to this why question in his book, Cries of the Heart. He wrote, I have never been in a conversation with a skeptic who failed to raise this as the principal reason for his or her skepticism. The number of those who have ceased to believe in God because of the death of a loved one or the maiming of a friend is legion. 
He wrote, this is without a doubt one of the most honest and genuine questions that can be raised of a Christian faith that talks of a loving God who is in control of all things. Why is the question we ask when we are trying to understand but something just doesn't make sense? We say, why God? And, and when we do that, we're actually asking the question about, about God's sovereignty. Is God really in control of this universe? Is he really all-powerful? And there are some frightening answers to that question that are being voiced by our culture. Some try to explain the painful things of life by saying, well, God is just powerless. He doesn't have the strength to do anything about it. In other words, God really wants to help, but he just doesn't have the power to help. This view was first popularized by Harold Kushner, a rabbi who wrote the book, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. You see, Kushner watched his son Aaron contract a rare disease that caused him to age prematurely, so he died in his teenage years. Well, therefore, Kushner concluded that God cares, but he just might not be able to do anything about it. And now while the idea of presuming that God is powerless may temporarily calm our soul, it doesn't have staying power. I mean, logically, how does one rectify creating the universe but being unable to influence the minute details of the universe. Well, there's another explanation that people arrive at. The second false explanation is that God is just indifferent. Maybe he just doesn't care. Polytheism, pantheism, deism, all these isms all essentially hold this view. According to deism, God started it all. He got the engines of the universe running, and well, then he just kind of backed off and headed out to another universe to take a break. He put the plane on autopilot and he parachuted off to safety. Now, now listen, listen to one more false excuse that people give to try to answer this why question. They say, well, God is responsible. God forces or makes tragedies occur. I mean, really? That doesn't seem consistent with what we read in James chapter 1. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father who does not change. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. That is his agenda. That is his character. So why? Well, the truth is that when we are in pain, there is no real answer or explanation that can satisfy us emotionally. And perhaps the biggest mistake that Christians make is expecting that there will be one answer, one silver bullet that will make all the pain go away. Even solid, rational answers can feel insulting to the person who is going through the suffering. But we have to go to Scripture and say, well, why does the Bible answer the why question? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why are there viruses? Why is there sickness and death? Well, one reason is that sometimes it's because, well, it's because of our own decisions. I mean, if you steal or you lie, you, you might lose your job. You might even end up going to jail. If you were promiscuous, you can end up with a disease. You might lose your spouse over that particular mistake. If we eat or drink or smoke too much and don't take care of our bodies, there will be some sort of physical consequence that will result. You see, God has created us and in his love for us, he has provided us with an owner's manual which shows us the best way to live. But when we do our things our own way, there are always going to be some consequences. But when we do things God's way, well, there are blessings that come from it. I know it's hard to hear, but sometimes the answer to why has to do with our own sinful choices. Another reason why bad things happen is that, well, it's because of other people's decisions. I mean, if, 
You know, if you're held up on the street, well, you're, your suffering is because of another person's sin. Your child might rebel. You, your mate might be unfaithful. Your parents may divorce. When you hurt, it is often the results of somebody else's choices. It's somebody else's sin. And there's a third reason as well. Sometimes suffering is the result of satanic attack. Peter describes Satan as a lion in search of his next meal. In 2 Corinthians, we read that Paul says that his physical problems were from Satan. God permitted those things to happen to Paul, but he didn't cause them. We probably underestimate how many times there is darkness behind a particular attack that's going on in our lives. So sometimes bad things happen because of other people's decisions. Sometimes it's because of our own decisions. Sometimes suffering is the result of satanic attacks. But, but fourthly, most of the time, it's because we live in a fallen world. I mean, the book of Romans says that creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. The problem with suffering goes all the way back to Genesis when Adam and, and Eve introduced sin into the world. It put everything out of kilter. And this world has been out of sync ever since. So there are droughts and floods and tornadoes and hurricanes. There are heat waves, viruses, fires, earthquakes. The air is polluted. The water is contaminated. The, the ground is poisoned. From the time sin came into the world, the whole system has been out of balance. The Apostle Paul says it's all birth pains and it's leading up to the return of Christ. And until that day when Christ returns, we will continue to live in a fallen world and, and have to also live with the results of it. That means that if a knife can cut bread, it can also cut your finger. And the force of gravity that keeps me here on this earth will, will not be suspended if I fall out of a tree. Tornadoes, they hit bars, but they also hit churches. Cancer strikes adults and cancer will also strike children. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand, but Christ was, he was very candid about this. He said there will be tough times. He said in this world, you're, look, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You know, I was reading an experiment that was done by psychologist Jonathan Haidt, and he presents this hypothetical exercise he says, imagine that you have a child that is about to be born and just before your child is born, you're handed a script of their lives and you have the opportunity to read the entire story of the child's life before they're even born and you're given an eraser and you have five minutes to edit their story. Well, what would you read there? You'd read different hardships, right? So you'd come across the fact that maybe well, your child was going to have a learning disability while reading comes easy for other kids, it's going to be a real challenge for your child. And then you read on a little bit further and, and your child has a best friend in high school and, and that best friend dies of cancer. And you continue to read your child's script. You continue to read their story and they get into college and they, they, they go into the field they want to, but there's a car accident that they get involved in and it causes them to go through this, this two-year-long depression. And you read a story a little bit further. It's your child's story and they get a good job, but there's an economic downturn and they end up losing their job and, and having to file for bankruptcy. So before this child is born, you get to read this whole script of their life and you're given an eraser and you have five minutes to edit. The question is, what do you erase? What do you get rid of? Now, most of us instinctively well, I think that we would begin to frantically erase the learning disability and the car accident and the, the financial challenges. We would want them to live a life without some of those hardships and those pains and those setbacks. But ask yourself, is that really what's best for them? 
Is that really what's best? I mean, what if you erase the one thing that's going to teach them to be compassionate? What if you erase a hardship that's going to show them how to be joyful in spite of any circumstances? What if you erase some pain and and suffering that ends up being the one thing that God most uses in their life for His purpose and for their good? What if you erase something that would have brought about their identity as an adult, something that God was going to use for good in some great way? Because here's what I know. I can tell you from from reading through many spiritual growth surveys and, and certainly anecdotal evidence of just talking to people through the years, the number one contributor to spiritual growth is, is not preaching or worship or small groups or books. The number one contributor to spiritual growth well, is pain. It's suffering. It's challenges and setbacks. When the walls of life have crumbled around us and, well, it's then that we have the best opportunity to grow and for God to be glorified. So here's a few reminders. To all of us who ask the why question, first, God wants us to know that that we are not alone. We're not alone. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In John 14, Jesus promises that we won't be left alone in this world. The Holy Spirit comforts us with a peace that passes all understanding. Romans tells us that we can pray to God even when we don't know the words to say. And we are told that the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf. So when you can't talk to God and you just can't get the words to come out and the tears are just flowing, the Holy Spirit takes those words and carries them to God because we're not alone. Secondly, I truly believe that God knows how we feel. There is something that strengthens us when we were able to talk to others who have been through what we're going through. And Hebrews says that God is able to sympathize. He was tempted at all points, just as we are, yet He remained without sin. Hebrews 4 and verse 16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So God knows how we feel. And I think God would also want to remind us today that that thirdly, our pain will not be wasted. One way God uses pain for the good is to to draw people toward Christ. The message paraphrases 2 Corinthians 7.10 and it says, Distress that drives us to God turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain, but those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets. And they end up on a deathbed of regrets. You see, God uses our pain and suffering to help us look more like Jesus Christ. Romans 8 and verse 28 is a favorite verse for many of you. It says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. But the next verse goes on and explains to us that we are being conformed into the likeness of God. When you go through suffering or or pain or through a tough time at, at work, when you're dealing with 2020, God is molding you. And He's shaping you so that you will look more like Him. So that people will be able to see that distinct difference. God wants to work in your pain to make you look more like Christ. That means our pain is it's never in vain because He works in all things to produce a Christ-like maturity. Like a loving father who allows his child to undergo a, a painful vaccination. God allows pain because 
Well, he knows it's for our greater good. Maybe God allows the cancer to teach us the value of what is eternal. I don't know. Maybe God allows you to have a difficult boss to to teach you self-control. Maybe God allows the unemployment that you're experiencing to teach you about faith. Maybe God allows a colicky baby to teach you about patience. What Satan prays will destroy you. God uses to transform you. Peter Kraft is a Christian philosopher and a professor at Boston College. And he says, only in a world where faith is difficult can faith exist. You see, our challenges can actually point us to the Lord. He doesn't cause all these things, but he does cause them to work together for our good. We come out on the other side of it looking a little bit more like Jesus because God never wastes a hurt. A final reminder that I would share is that, well, the pain is soon going to be over. In Romans 8 and verse 18, Paul, who experienced incredible hardship, says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You see, we can endure a lot of pain if we know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. If there is a reward for being faithful during those times of testing, if there is a reason to hold on, there is a glory that awaits us for all eternity. In the very last book in your Bible, in Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 3, we get a glimpse. We get a glimpse of this eternity when it says that God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. All of these things are gone. No more death, no, no mourning, no crying, no, no pain. For these, this old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And friends, on that day, everything will make sense. We will have the full picture. And it will be clear to us why life unfolded just the way it did. Every why will be answered. Well, every why may be except for one. Because on that day, your why questions are going to change. You won't be asking questions of God about, well, why did I have to suffer? Or, or why do we all have to endure the pain of 2020? Why did our family experience that loss? That's not going to be your why question that day. On that day, your why question will be, why God? Why would you let me be here? Why, why would you shed your blood on my behalf? Why would you extend your amazing grace to me? And on that day in disbelief, we will say to God, why would you save me? Why would the all-knowing God who knows every detail about me choose to forgive my hidden hypocrisy and my, my terrible transgressions, my, my secret sins, my monumental mistakes, and look past my inconsistencies only to simply see the blood of Jesus Christ? Martin Luther said it like this. He said, when I look at myself, I think, what a sinner. But when I look at Christ, I say, what a Savior. May 2021 be the year that we see Christ more clearly and begin to understand more the answer for all of our questions.